podiobooks.com in association with pjballantine.net and writersexchange.com presents Weaver's Web, written and read by Philippa Ballantyne. Lou wandered through Skellig like a violet ghost. He heard his own footsteps echo off the stone beneath, saw his own breath smoking in the castle's coldest corners, but only dimly. Inside he communed with the divine. The delicious song of the spirit twisted through his heart and soul, and he struggled to understand it. Godlings trained for years to make themselves open to the workings of the immortal. Sometimes it came to them as clearly as the memory of a first kiss, but oftentimes it was a tangled strand of alien music defying understanding. After all, Lou reminded himself, it was too much for a creature of flesh and bone to comprehend the workings of the divine clearly. Lou did, however, manage to fathom some things. The island of Crisfell and Skellig Castle in particular were the centre of the approaching storm. The first wave would break upon this place. Already the people of this grand drama were moving to their destiny. The apex, of course, was the messenger Ashime Kandra. He knew she was alive, as well as he knew he himself was. The trouble was he was now certain that the Duke did as well. How would things play out? If he had only known earlier that she'd be so important, he would have made some effort to help her keep some distance from Garen. He recalled back then how she'd been among all the other raw recruits. Back in those days, she was just a face in the crowd, a memorable face, admittedly, but just one of many, nonetheless. By the time anyone was aware of the feelings between the Duke and Ashime, it was too late. Recently, Lou had tried to plant suggestions in her mind, curiosities about certain things, Sadly, it was after the fact. But who could have guessed that events would develop around her in such a way? Pausing in the middle of the deserted corridor, the godling swung around. His eyes searched the darkened corners, sensing a whisper of a presence in the ether. But like footsteps in the sand, erased by the swell of the tide, it was gone. Strange things were definitely afoot in Skellig. It no longer felt like home. Looking about him, noticing his surroundings for the first time, Lou realised that he had never been down this deep into the interior of the castle. The outer ward was not his favourite part of Skellig. Military matters happened here, which he was not comfortable or happy with. How odd that his feet had led him here. Used to serendipitous events in his life, Lou began to cast around him with his other senses. This place did not have a pleasant feel to it. Death, pain and despair permeated the ether. Auras twisted with pain or perverse delight surrounded him but one his divine senses locked onto immediately. It was filled with pain, but also amazing strength of will that he had not encountered before. The song surged in his head. Curiosity tugged him on. Lou followed the corridor until it resolved itself into a locked door. Stationed outside were two guards, armed, and in no mood to let an old godling pass them for a poke around. Taking a deep breath, he called on his inner strength and the will of the divine. Stepping up to the guards took a great deal of courage, especially since he wasn't sure what their orders were. And so I said, let him go, the guard poked his friend in his ribs jovially. Told him if he wanted to keep his woman pleaser intact, he better not touch my wench again. That's the way, the other guffawed. I hope you had words with her too. Lou was standing right in front of them, holding his breath in fear. They were perfectly unaware of him. To them, the corridor was as empty as it had been moments before. 
This little godling trick didn't always work on those really intent on their job. Luckily, these two were pretty half-hearted. Now was the time for the hard bit. He stretched his will towards them. Well, I uh, let him make it up to me, the guard chuckled, and didn't seem to notice as his hand fumbled for the key, inserted it into the lock, turned it, swung the door open, and even politely held it while Lou went in. Standing on the steps, he remembered to get them to shut it behind him, all the while laughing to each other. Rubbing his beard thoughtfully, Lou stood on the top of a slippery flight of stairs and knew immediately what he'd come across, the Duke's private dungeon. The main castle had one, mainly full of thieves, slavers, and other assorted villainy, but Garen obviously had prisoners he wished to keep all to himself. And what a terrible place it was. The steps, walls, and ceiling dripped with water, and the torches and brackets flared spasmodically in the dampness. Even without his extra senses, Lou would have been blind not to feel the atmosphere of the dungeon. It was a place of pain and fear, governed by those skilled in its application. Even though he knew that such things were transitory, menaces of the flesh, the godling still loathed such atrocities. In the gloom, he could see figures moving about, some sort of torturers and jailers. How such people could live with themselves, he didn't know. It took a great deal of strength to move on. Carefully going down the steps, Lou followed the emanations of the soul he had sensed. Even more peculiar was the cell that contained the individual. Two more guards stationed outside this door, and decidedly more intent on their job. No doubt warned of the price of failure by the Duke. Well, he closed his eyes for a moment. This should be a test for all those years of training. Holding both hands out before him, he none too gently pushed with his will. The guards succumbed more easily than Lou would have believed. Rocking back on their heels, their eyes glazed over, and he knew they would not bother him for some time. Glancing over his shoulder and securing his invisible cloak around him against curious jailers, he stepped up to the door. It was a simple thing to open the door with one of the guards' keys. Not bad for a godling old enough to be Solistra's grandfather, he thought smugly. He wouldn't make a half-bad thief either. Lou stepped inside. Yes, he thought to himself. This person is definitely a main player. The godling had not touched his mind, and so the prisoner shackled to the wall could clearly see him standing there, calmly amongst the rotting straw. The young man lurched to his feet, the metal clanking against the rock. They took each other in. Lou immediately recognised the blue-banded tattoos on one arm as Sitken and Origin. Dark brown eyes met his, eyes that were naturally kind and gentle, but that had seen too much pain and desperation in the last few weeks. The smell of blood was rich and thick in here, and the godling could see on the young body signs of violence. His spirit, too, was tarnished with pain. The pervading atmosphere in the cell sickened Lou. The young man obviously recognised his ropes for what they were, but still seemed unsure. He kept glancing to the door as if he expected someone else to enter. Now Lou understood. I'm not the Duke's dog, son. I didn't do his bidding. Who are you, then? His voice also echoed with the tones of Sitkin. I am Lou, godling adviser to Skellig Castle. Have they hurt you badly, my son? He started forward, his hand unconsciously reaching for the man's cut and bruised face. Your duke's hospitality is not the best, I'll grant you. He flinched a little when the godling placed his hand on his forehead. Lou caught brief flashes of the past few days, and all the pain that had been inflicted merely for the joy of causing it. He shuddered. 
Chrisfell had fallen low indeed if this was the main joy in its duke's life. Easing his mind into the others, he soothed the shattered nerves and sent the body to heal in its own way. The prisoner sighed and slumped back against the wall. His eyes looked more alert, and some of the marks on his body had faded. No doubt about it, though, he was at the end of his physical resources. Lou eased himself down next to him, and fishing around in his robes, produced a half round of bread. I like to feed the birds out in the garden, he explained as cheerfully as could. The cook keeps bread for me, but I'm afraid it's stale. The prisoner took it without complaining, though, and wolfed it down scarcely before Lou had finished speaking. He managed a muffled thank you. What is your name, son? The dark eyes scanned him thoughtfully. Connor Nesfail. The godling nodded. That explains a lot. Your father's Luke Nesfail, then, High Chieftain of Sitkang. He received a quick nod. Does the Duke know? I thought he wouldn't know how to treat such a high-born guest, so I guess I didn't tell him. Connor smiled at him almost mischievously. A high-pitched wail echoed down the dungeon, and both of them started. You best not hang around, the prisoner urged. The prisoner urged. I don't know how you got here, but I don't think your duke would like you talking to me. It could get bad for you. He doesn't seem to type to respect the divine somehow. Lou laughed dismissively. I've got to get you out of here first. Connor clutched his manacles as if he feared the godling would smite them from him then and there. I can't put you in jeopardy. The duke's coming down here. Best if you don't. Lou stood up, brushing crumbs off his robes. Nonsense, he said, though in his heart he wondered how it would be done. His powers were much depleted after his last efforts. The divine energies were difficult for mortal frame to contain, and though he was loath to admit it, age had robbed him of some of his strength. He weighed out the possibility of being caught. The Duke was more powerful than ever, and the disappearance of an old godling could be covered up. No one even knew he was down here. Still, he wouldn't be able to live in his cosy little room upstairs knowing that Connor was down here suffering. The drain on his energies would be considerable, but all going well, he would recover. <sighs> I didn't know what your Sitkan godlings are like, but you should know that I am not about to abandon you to the Duke's tender mercies. Connor grasped his arm. Tell me, is it true about Hashimi? Is she dead, as they said? Lou was suddenly cautious, wondering what interest the prisoner could possibly have in the missing messenger. You know Ashime? Godlings like you sent me here to warn her what approaches on the spring tide. The godling's interest was suddenly aroused, forgetting imminent danger he huddled closer. Since she in a here, son, would you mind telling me? Connor whispered, his eyes clouded with more pain. The weavers. Does it mean anything to you? Lou shook his head. The name stirred something in him, like a face remembered, but the name of which slips away and eludes you. He struggled for a few moments to grasp the threads of understanding, but they flickered away. Nay. He didn't like the feeling of that one bit. Should it? Connor looked frustrated. It is a myth, and a ghostly story in my land. But the father told me to say it to Ashime alone. He said she would work it out and what to do, but if she's dead... Lou grasped his shoulder. Then let me put your mind at rest. By some miracle, she's still alive. Local mothers have seen her in their dreams, and mothers seldom dream of the dead. And if I know Ashime at all, then she's on her way home. If we can get you out of here, there may be a way for you to pass on your message. Before Connor could protest, he lightly touched the manacles. When they sprung away, the prisoner smiled. You'd make a first-class locksmith, father. Lou laughed into his sleeve. 
you have considered it. But uh, I think you have left it a bit late to change my profession. Now, quickly, we must make the most of those two guards outside. Stick close to me and didn't say a word. Easing the door open, Lou peeked through the gap until he was sure that the guards remained in their trance. Fortunately, there seemed to be no one else about. Gesturing Connor out into the corridor, Lou extended his rather exhausted senses and will to surround them both. Connor quickly relieved one of the guards of his sword. Its loss would undoubtedly provoke some trouble for him when he woke up. Lou almost chuckled. Cautiously, the pair made their way back up the stairs. Now this was going to be difficult, requiring a delicate manipulation of both sight and sound. Clearing his throat, Lou spoke. Open up, you fools! I have better things to do than wait here for you! He was rather pleased. The voice booming from his chest was a fair imitation of the Duke's. This prompted a hurried jangling of keys from the other side of the door, and when it swung open, the worried faces of the door guards peered in. The Duke was not renowned for his forbearance. Lou held steady, clutching the strands of his illusion about the two of them. Hopefully they wouldn't see Connor at all, whereas he was transformed into the towering form of Geron. By their looks, it seemed he'd got it right. About time, he rumbled in the Duke's voice, and tried to use his best imitation of a stride. Connor hurried after him, almost standing on his trailing robes in an effort to remain within the godling's influence. Lou jested at him that he needn't be that close. It wouldn't do for the Duke of Crisfell to trip on his own clothing. I won't forget this laxness, he added for good measure to the worried guards as he swept by. Best to keep them off balance, otherwise they might wonder how the Duke had got into the dungeon without them seeing him. It was only when they got around the corner of the corridor that he found he could finally breathe. Connor clapped him on the back. That was amazing, father. Truly, you're a great godling. I've never seen the like. Lou allowed himself a small glow of pride. And you're unlikely to again. But don't get too confident yet. The tower gate must be passed through first if we're to get out of Skellig. That's the only way. It won't be easy. Connor shrugged, some of his natural youthful optimism returning. After that, I think you can do anything. That's hardly reassuring, Lou observed dryly. They scuttled through the rest of the castle's outer ward. Surprisingly, very few guards were about, and the godling pondered what that in itself could mean. He had always expected the outer ward to be heavily armed men. Where could they be? He had supposed that he should be grateful. Finally, they reached the bailey. From a side entrance, the godling gloomily surveyed the odds. A clear open space filled with milling people, each of which he had to convince that they were other than they were. It certainly wouldn't do to be recognised. His purple robes always seemed to draw the needy, and they'd have to step lively as well. People were surprisingly quick to figure something was amiss when they bumped into an unseen person. If he managed this, he was going to have to tell Solistra, and she would be impressed. Past the bustling yard, he looked with even more trepidation at the tower gate they'd have to pass through. Guards who meant business kept a watchful eye on the clansmen going in and out. If they were spotted at that point, there'd be no easy escape route. He knew for a fact that the tower had nasty little murder holes in the roof that they would have to pass under. The thought of boiling oil or a hail of arrows they might have to endure sent shivers up his spine. Still, the divine had seen fit to grant him greater strength today than he'd ever known. Somehow, there had to be a reason to it all. Trying to project more confidence than he felt, he grasped Connor by the arm. Come on, then. We shouldn't be taking long. It could be the shortest walk in history, but he kept that thought to himself. It was all right for Connor. He seemed to have blind faith in Lou's abilities, but for the godling, the race across the space to the tower was a nightmare. 
Women with large baskets seemed to be deliberately aiming for them, and once they were almost stepped on by a burly horse trader whose animal whinnied and sidestepped when they drew near. The divine knew that Lou had no extra energy to soothe the beast. He wondered that no one noticed the wake of events they left behind. He began to sweat under his heavy robes. This was certainly not good for him. But they made it to the tower without anyone calling out the alarm. Surely the divine was smiling on them today. That was exactly when the whole thing fell apart. Lou was getting more confident in his ability to pull this madness off. A wave of nausea flowed over him, as if every sense he possessed was turning upside down. He felt that odd flickering presence he'd perceived previously in the corridor, only ten times stronger. He got the impression of a woman's face, twisted and malicious. He could feel her, or whatever it was, pulling at the illusion he'd created so carefully. The aura that surrounded the creature was putrid with corrupt power, and Lou could hardly tell Sky from Earth as he battled to hold everything together. He reeled under the assault. Connor, next to him, sensed something was terribly wrong. He spoke in a harsh whisper. Father, what's happening? Lou couldn't spare the energy to reply, engaged as he was, but he did briefly think that the young man couldn't have chosen a worse time to speak. While they stood stock still at the outer entrance to the tower gate, some thirty or so armed guards circled them. They were watching those walking past, but as soon as Connor's voice emerged from the air, they stood to attention and, bang and began casting about. Magic was not unknown to the Duke's men. Lou wished he had the energy to swear. The creature was testing his strength to the limits, and he was losing control of the illusion that had protected them both. If he only had a little more time, he just knew that he could beat this thing with, that was clawing the illusion apart. Get ready to run, he managed to warn Connor. Only fragments of the illusion remained, hardly enough for them to hold on to, and in a few moments they would be revealed. Connor must have realised this too. Still, he caught Lou completely by surprise when he gave the godling an enormous shove. Save yourself, he shouted, and then charged straight at the warriors who could now see him. Lou caught himself against the stone wall with a curse. Strangely, as soon as Connor was beyond his illusion, the creature stopped her attack, and he was able to maintain the deception. Damn fool boy! He clutched the rock and watched, not quite knowing what to do. Connor Nesfail was obviously a fine warrior, even if a little foolish. He took on those who heavily outnumbered him with fire and passion. That was the trademark of all clansmen on whatever island. He held a sword, two-handed, and cleaved about him with dreadful consequences. Lou felt his heart claw at his throat, and tears broke into his eyes. He was sure he was about to see the end of the fine young warrior. It would have been, too, if the sergeant of the guards had not intervened. To be heard above the ruckus, he yelled, Take him alive, damn you! Take him alive, or it's our heads on a pike! The guards seemed loath to obey, and Connor took a couple of painful cuts. He, too, seemed to be goading them to strike him down. For a few moments, it was difficult to decide the result of the fracas. Eventually, though, Connor's weakened state and the overwhelming number of guards had their effect. Lou saw him go down under a heavy barrage of blows. When the heaving knot of men cleared, Connor was unconscious, and the guards were smiling with victory. The godling felt sick as he watched them bear the young man off, no doubt back to the cell he had so recently occupied. The godling leaned back against the wall, fighting down his own emotions. The divine inside him would not allow him to hurt another, but Lou had never before wished so fervently for that ability. He had heard rumours of godlings on ancient battlefields, cutting swathes through the enemies. Before he had been appalled, but now part of him wanted that power. With difficulty he got a grip on his emotions. The question was what to do now. 
It was almost certain that the Duke would work out who was behind this escape attempt, especially if that creature had anything to do with Garin, and he had a dreadful feeling that it did. A part of him wanted to return to face the Duke, have it out with him, or try to help Connor again, but the song inside his head advised otherwise. The best way he could help Connor was to be clever. Skellig was no longer safe, and outside of the Sitken captive, he was the only one who knew the message that he'd risked his life to bring to Ashime. Until then, he would lie low in Skellig town and gather what little information he could there. Lou, not for the first time today, felt his age. He wished a little prayer towards Connor. The Divine alone knew what he was about to go through. Connor's head swam, and he was loath to return to reality. He'd really thought that he might find honourable death out there in the gate tower. Rather, he'd hoped. At least the godling had escaped. Maybe he would even tell Ashime the message. A sharp pain along one arm. Rolling his head, he realised he was bound to two upright poles, hand and foot. He half-heartedly heaved at them, but they were buried in the solid rock of the prison. Every muscle in his body told him that they had no more energy. Again, that sharp, annoying pain in his arm. Blinking past blood pouring down his forehead, Connor focused on what stood at his right side. He guessed who it was, and he was not disappointed. The Duke did not look amused, but he withdrew his knife from Connor. Awake, I see. I thought I might have to cut those pretty tattoos off your arm. Good. We have a few questions to ask you. Connor rolled his tongue around in his mouth, testing to see if any of his teeth were loose. The taste of blood would have made him ill if he hadn't had anything to eat for the last three days. We? He finally managed through bruised and cut lips. Oh, yes. The Duke gestured to a dark corner with an almost convivial smile. How remiss of me. I haven't introduced you to Giselle, have I? Was he imagining it, or did a knot of darkness twist itself into a shape resembling a woman? An echo, a memory, the barest of things. It resembled smoke. Connor managed to smile cockier than he actually felt. Great. I could do with a little company of the female kind. Does she know any good tricks? Strange you should ask that. Garin's expression did not bode well. She does, actually. I suggest you tell me all about your little outing with the old godling, or I might just get her to show you some. What did you say to him? Connor felt a knot develop inside his very empty belly. What godling? He feigned ignorance as best he could. We all know about who was with you. The Duke took a seat against the far wall. But I was hoping you'd prove stubborn. Giselle, I believe the gentleman wants to see your repertoire. Connor watched the figment of mist move from the corner towards him. Long, translucent fingers reached out, and he could hear her voice like wind among long grass. Ah, oh, it's so long since I had a man. Thank you. And this one is a sore irritation to us. And then she curled and became like the smoke he had first mistaken her for. Beautiful mother, the smoke was rising towards him. He struggled to hold his breath, but nature wouldn't be denied. When he finally gulped an air, she followed into him. Only when she was inside did he begin to scream.
Kieran was in an excellent mood. He finished packing his bags and put them down by the door for his valet to take to the ship. Ashime was dead, of that he was now certain. Giselle herself had virtually guaranteed it. Once this little trip was over, he would have control of the largest army ever seen in Crisfell. In fact, any of the island nations. He smiled and patted the smallest item in his luggage, a tiny, iron-bound box lined with lead and the most precious thing in his possession. With this, he would achieve what others before him had only dreamed of. Giselle would be very busy with the boy for a good few days, plenty of time for him to put his plan into action. His allies thought themselves so clever and were undoubtedly poised to sweep him aside. Garen was many things, but stupid was not one of them. Well, he swirled his cape around his shoulders, time to play his cards. They thought they'd erased all knowledge of themselves from Crisfell's memory. Skellig had a longer memory, though. All those mouldy, crumbling texts in its library, which his father had forced him to tidy away one summer day fifteen years ago, had proved more than useful. In them, he had found the edge against his allies, and now all he had to do was use it. The chiefs thought him going on a visit to some of the smaller clans on the other side of Crispell, and very few knew his real destination. This was the way he liked it. His personal catch, the Fire Queen, was waiting, and Geron knew better than to keep a lady waiting. Visions of success lightened his heart as he slammed the door behind him. I hope you've enjoyed this chapter of Weaver's Web. If you want to get your hands on an e- or print edition of this novel, you can do so through my website, which is pjvallantine.net. On this podcast, you've heard Ghost Song by Hands Upon Black Earth, which is available through magnatune.com. All other music in this podcast supplied by T. Morris. Find out more about T at tmorris.com. Thanks for listening.